0: It's neat to be a part of what God is doing in the world. It's neat that our story aligns with his story, and that's why our stories are better than we think, not because we bring a whole lot of greatness to the, to the table, but because God is willing in his grace uh, to love us, to redeem us, to transform us, and to make us one of his own people so that we can live with his mission in our hearts and we can fulfill his purpose for our lives. As we've walked through the Gospel of John over the last few months, we've been talking about how um, not only are the stories and the miracles and the teachings historical records, which they are, but they also represent a pattern for us to follow, that when we see how Jesus acted, when we see how Jesus loved, how, when we see how Jesus would stand up for the sake of righteousness— We don't just appreciate that in Jesus, but we say, no, that needs to become part of my story as well. Last week, we talked about the fact that even as Jesus went to the cross, even as he gave his life for us, we also emulate that. And we say, we want to be like that seed that he talked about that falls to the ground and dies so that it can produce a harvest of many lives, of many seeds, Uh, that our lives in every way align with Jesus. And so we look at him. As our example, we look at him as our pattern. Now, our our premise in the series kind of began back in John chapter 1. We learned that when we join God's family by believing in Jesus, we become a part of his eternal and amazing story. Uh, That is, whatever our boring, aimless, earthbound life might have looked like, the day we believe in Jesus, all of that changes, and now we have a heading that takes us into eternity and a heading that every day of our lives fills us with purpose, with a reason to wake up in the morning, all right? So the Gospel of John was written to help us get to that spot. All the miracles, all the teachings, everything we've heard so far. Uh, John said at the end of the Gospel of John in chapter 20 that all of this was written so that you could believe and that by believing you would have life in the name of Jesus. And so that's what John is all about. Now, the last little bit here that we're working through, really the last whole half of the book, but it's only a little bit in terms of time, chapters 13 through 17 are all about one night, the night of the Last Supper. So, so far in the narrative of Jesus, since we first kind of were introduced to Jesus, and the water changing into wine in chapter 2, about three years have transpired now. And Jesus is sitting down with his disciples, having walked the roads with them, done the miracles with them, taught them, prayed with them. All of that's happened, and now he's sitting down and giving them sort of the final, uh, the final talk, the final discussion here as a close-knit family uh, to his disciples. Here's what they need to know. Now, they didn't realize this was the last night, the last supper. Uh, they probably just thought, well, this is a special dinner. It's Passover time, and here we're doing that. Uh, they didn't realize that what they were a part of was about to take some amazing turns, which we'll look at in the next few weeks. All right, so this is the night before Jesus' crucifixion. And on this night, that is at the Last Supper, I believe Jesus unleashed a power that they did not expect. The world did not expect a power that could transform everything, and no one saw it coming. Even after they'd been with Jesus for all this time, they still didn't see that the kind of kingdom Jesus was introducing, the kind of kingdom he was building, uh, was, was more powerful than any earthly kingdom or any human construct of how to organize people. Uh, Jesus was inviting them to, into a totally different way of life. A totally new kind of life. And that would be a kingdom marked by love. I'd like us to zoom in on this part of what we read earlier. Jesus said to his disciples, I'm giving you a new commandment, love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. That is something about the way that you're going to love each other is going to be so shocking, so different from the whole world system that people will know, oh, that's a Jesus follower because you're acting different than everyone else and that anyone else would naturally act. So, so here's Jesus sort of unleashing this, and the way he does it, remember, last week he rode into Jerusalem and he was hailed as the king. And so if he was trying to ride the waves of sort of popular opinion, he could have been on a throne somewhere by now, right? But instead, what do we see Jesus doing at the beginning of John 13? We see here he is at this dinner, and it says he wraps a towel around his waist, which was the custom of the servants in that day. And he got a basin and he bent down and started washing the feet of his disciples. A a role that only would be appropriate for a servant to carry out. Certainly not a master, certainly not an important political figure or an important exalted rabbi or someone. In fact, even the disciples themselves would would have expected that as they came into this home that that the servants would come and they would wash their feet because obviously they're walking everywhere in sandals and it's not not like they had shoes. So it's kind of a big deal. It's kind of important. If you want to have a nice dinner experience, got to get the feet washed before you go to dinner. And, And so here you would have expect that to be all about the servants doing that. And Jesus would have been the last person in the room to ever bend down and wash someone's foot. And Jesus goes first. He does that. And all of his disciples are shocked. Lord, no, we, we should wash your feet, not the other way around. And Jesus, in doing this, is showing a different way to lead. See, the kingdoms of this world and what these people would have been accustomed to is they would have been thinking about Caesar, right? And what does, what does the Roman Caesar think of us? And, and they would have heard of great generals who conquered territories and were given, given important roles in the government. And they would have thought about the, the political jockeying of the, of even their religious leaders, the Sadducees and the Pharisees. And if they could look good to Rome and then Rome would grant them this power. They're used to all leadership having to do with command and control. And here Jesus says, the greatest one among you is the one who serves. In our kingdom, we're going to do it differently, Jesus says to his disciples. Even though the, at this point in the story, and if you read the parallel text in the other gospels about this Last Supper experience, you realize some of the disciples still didn't quite get this. They weren't putting it all together. Some of them were still wondering, well, Lord, like, when the kingdom comes, who's going to sit on your right hand and who's going to be the greatest and the most important? And Jesus says, that's not how this is going to work. Um, in this kingdom, the value system is going to be different. And service and sacrifice and love are actually going to be the defining features. And you would think if you were, if you were an earthly thinker, if you, were in the, if you were in the Roman political system or whatever, you would have thought, ha, that has no chance. Like, we're going we're gonna to bulldoze you if you act that way. Um, and yet, in the hearts of any one of us, even though sometimes our pride gets in the way of this, wouldn't we want to live... In a kingdom defined by love. Wouldn't you? So you could imagine it this way. You could imagine a kingdom defined by servant-hearted, put-others-first kind of love. Or family-style, you-belong-here-no-matter-what kind of love. Or everlasting, we'll-stay-together-forever kind of love. Or self-sacrificing, I'll give of myself, I will give myself that kind of love. So Jesus here is offering a whole different way of life, a whole different system, a whole different pursuit, a whole different goal for what our lives would ever add up to. His kingdom that would be built on love, you could look at it in the better story that's better than we all think. It's a big plot twist, right? Because just when you think in an earthly viewpoint the kingdom is going to succeed, and, and there's going to be all this power, Jesus steps back and becomes a servant. Jesus steps back and starts to talk about loving each other in the same way that I love you. Now, Dell, friend, co-pastor, you've done some research on this and, and the dynamic of the fact that even though the story was different than what we thought, in the end, love ended up being more powerful than the political structures of the day. All right? So why don't you tell us about that?
1: Yeah, so we have to ask the question. uh, At the rise of Christianity in the first 300 years of its existence, from a small sect of mostly despised and persecuted followers to becoming the world religion of the Roman Empire in 300 years, like how in the world did this happen? And so there's a sociologist named Rodney Starks um, who actually, I don't believe he was a Christian when he did this study, but he went back and just looked at the data, um, the sociological data surrounding the way that Christianity actually gained traction um, in this hostile world. And uh, here's, here's, what, here's what he says. Any accurate portrait of a Roman city in the New Testament must depict a city filled with misery, danger, fear, despair, and hatred. A city where the average family lived lived a squalid life in filthy and cramped quarters, where at least half the children died during birth or infancy, and where most of the children who lived lost at least one parent before reaching maturity. Tenement cubicles were smoky, dark, often damp. They were always dirty. The smell of urine, sweat, feces, and decay permeated everything. Dust, rubbish, and filth accumulated. Finally, bugs ran riot. So as Rodney Starks looked at the conditions of this time, and he also looked at the sort of the data of how people's lives went. Um, here's one of the things that early you know, life was always marked by um, in these places. Plagues would kill thousands in kind of waves. When that happened, when disease would break out in the city... Uh, the elites, the rich, the wealthy, including the doctors, would leave. So they would flee to the countryside where they could save their families, and they would leave the masses sort of to just die out by thousands. Um, Secondly, when he looked at the sociological records, uh, Rodney Starks found the wide practice of infanticide. So Seneca, a a leading Roman statesman, statesman, regarded the drowning of babies at birth As both reasonable and commonplace. It was common to expose an unwanted infant outdoors where it could, in principle, be taken up by someone who wished to rear it, but where typically it fell victim to the elements or to animals or to birds. Not only was the exposure of infants very common, it was justified by law and advocated by philosophers like Aristotle and Plato in their writings. Um, And so this was a common practice during the day of Jesus. And in these Roman cities, um, this was especially brutal on girls who were less wanted and had less social status. Uh, the practice was so widespread that actually when Rodney Starks looked at the data, there was actually entire gender imbalances between boys and girls, way more boys than girls, creating a, a secondary social problem um, in, this, in the world of this time. Okay? And so uh, infanticide was a major, major problem when Jesus made this incredible teaching. So when we look at Jesus' teaching then to love one another, to, to have an other-centered life, and to make it the mark of actually God's love and discipleship, um, his statement was unbelievably revolutionary. Um, as it is today, but particularly in this world, absolutely uh, no other sources would, be, have, would have been saying this. Nothing was practiced in law or ethics or or government of this kind. And Christianity taught in the teachings of Jesus then that mercy is one of the primary virtues. Because a merciful God requires humans to be merciful, because God loves humanity, Christians may not please God unless they love one another. This was a new and a revolutionary principle but even more so was the Christian, that Christian love and charity must extend beyond the boundaries of family and tribe, but must extend to all those who in every place call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is Rodney Stark's quotation from his work, The Rise of Christianity. And what he found as he looked at the data was this. The way that Christianity actually rose in this hostile environment was through the following things uh, that you could see in the records. When the plagues hit the cities, the Christians didn't run. Uh, they would stay and they would care for their own with incredible abandon, instead sort of isolating and, and fleeing. And they would also care for their neighbors who had been left by their own families and their own friends. Um, and though thousands still died from these incredible plagues, many more lived than would have not lived than would have lived with, you know, without the care. And so Christianity began to rise just simply through the demographics of survival in these plagues. Um, But you can also imagine that the people that were saved by them uh, were warmed to the underpinnings of what actually would cause this kind of love. Secondly, Christians didn't kill their kids. And they gathered the abandoned kids on the streets um, in droves, preserving many, many lives, especially the girls' who then would grow up to become the wives and the mothers, and guess what they taught their kids? About a love that actually had saved their lives, and they actually converted many of their husbands in the process. Thirdly, Christians did not follow the cultural practices of abandonment of their families, including their marriages. Not that divorce never happened, but it was at incredibly lower rates. And so over time, Christians' families became stronger, and more vibrant, um, able to stand the test and the hardships of life and to pass love and faith on to their children. As a result, the Christians actually had the best marketing. And all you business people in here will, will know that the best marketing is what kind of marketing? It's face-to-face, right? Word of mouth. Um, and the witness then of the gospel was not just about one of ideas, but... It was something like this. You remember how the love that Jesus gave us and that we sent into you saved your life during the plague or your family member? Do you remember how we saved your children? Can you see how the nature of our communities and our love for one another actually is a better way of life that actually works in ways that are profound, and have application to every part of society? And over and over again, the answer was, yes, we can see that. And so the rise of Christianity actually happened not through power, but literally through love. Rodney Starks says this, Christianity actually revitalized life in the Greco-Roman cities by providing new norms and new kinds of social relationships to cope with many of the urgent problems of that day. Now, here's my question to you as we look at the teaching of Jesus this morning from John 13 and 14. Is the rise of Christianity in our face origins actually not a blueprint for what revival might look like today? Because after all, don't we live in a society that is like the Roman Empire, incredibly pluralistic, many gods, many truth claims? Um, No longer able to draw on power and tradition as the source of our truth. Christianity is out in the world of ideas now among many truths, just like it was in those first days. And the persuasion will not be through force or through power, but it will be through influence and through love. Is it not true that today we have our own form of infanticide? through the millions and millions that are killed worldwide through abortion? Is it not true that today we have kids being abandoned in droves because of the social ills of our society? Um, just think of the foster care system in the last few years to the opioid epidemic being flooded beyond capacity uh, and, and no place to put our kids. Do we not have families dissolving at an inc- incredible rates in the family itself by law and by Contemporary ethics being redefined to its core uh, in ways that we, we don't really know the end of that experiment. Um, but there are many, many, many needs at the family level. Do we not live in a day where our elites, are our wealthiest class, um, and sometimes uh, our political systems, are they not perceived as being essentially self-serving um, and increasingly not trustworthy? See, these, these were all factors in which the, the teaching of Jesus at its core addresses, not from the top down, but from the heart. And so what better time for Christians like you and me to return to Jesus' teaching and the way of love, the love that first comes down from the Father who loved us first, who shows us incredible mercy and forgiveness, but then allows us to receive love at the depths of our being so that it conquers fear, even of death itself, and who positions us to live lives where we can honor relationships and sacrifice when it gets hard for our marriages and our families and the marriages and families of others, where we care for the needs of the most vulnerable, especially our youngest and our oldest citizens, the marginalized, the mentally ill, the prisoner, the refugee, the immigrant, where we do not run in fear to preserve our lives, but where we move toward the humanitarian crises of our times. Now listen, folks. We're living in a moment, actually, this week, when unprecedented fear is gripping the world. Would you agree with me? Uh, we don't know yet whether it's overreaction, um, you know, or if this pandemic you know, is going to affect our lives in more profound ways. We don't know. Um, and we certainly pray against its worst ravages. But let me just tell you one thing. The way of Jesus is not the way of fear. And this could be our moment, actually, to practice the heart of our faith, where we do not, we do not run from each other or from our neighbors because of fear, but we move towards this in love. And where our witness to Jesus actually becomes credible, not because of our apologetics or our power, but because of the credibility of our lives and of our communities beginning here and right now. See, this is the radical call of Jesus that actually has transformed the world, and I believe we'll do it again as we become the hands and feet of Jesus, both receiving and giving God's love. Are you with me on that? Amen. Well, let's stand then and let me pray a prayer of commissioning over us in these times. Lord, we declare right now that the story that has come down from above through the self-sacrificing love of Jesus to both forgive transform, free, and heal our lives is timeless, and its power is relevant for our moment today. Lord, together we declare and commission each other as being those who have been loved radically in a way that sets our heart free from fear and from self-preservation Jesus, in your steps, we commission each other to be agents of self-sacrificing love in good times and bad. Lord, we commit to you, not knowing the full extent of the moment in which we live and what will happen next week or the week after that, whether this pandemic or the one that follows, threatens our lives and Livelihoods. But Lord, we commit together in the way of Jesus that our commission is simple and true, that it's to love one another the way that you've loved us, it's to love our neighbors the way that you've loved us. And Lord, may, may we bear witness that is credible from our hearts to the fact that love conquers all, that love actually wins that the gospel is related to both this life and the one that is yet to come. And we commission ourselves, Lord, to a great revival, a kingdom to be built through the power of love. And we say this together in Jesus' name. Amen. Go to the world of love.